Welcome into the Draft Report Podcast. I'm Jack Borowski, joined here alongside my co-host Sam Peace. On this episode, we recap week 12 of the college football this season, discuss where we're at with the quarterback race, who are the biggest risers from the week, take a look at Lad McConkie and Devontae Walker's film from this season before finishing off the episode with the top prospects we've watched recently. So Sam, per usual, starting off with this quarterback class because after the first two names, and even with the first two names, it's hectic. Uh, we don't know what is going on week in and week out. Things change so much. And I think we forget sometimes it was the same way last year. You look back at old mock drafts, rankings. It was how far has Levis fallen? How far has Stroud fallen? You know, where is Bryce Young? At? Anthony Richardson wasn't even considered a player who was a lock to come out. You know, all four end up kind of going in, in, in different parts of the draft with Levis being f- further back and all four uh, have started and uh, the, th- the three who did weren't the first pick ha- have looked good at times this year. So it, this happens every year. Malik Willis draft, you know, he was all over the place. Kenny Pickett as well. And, and then the year before we knew Mac Jones versus Trey Lance all the way up until the day of the draft. So this happens all the time and it's happening again this year. Granted, we already know what's set in stone. The first two picks are going to be Caleb Williams and Drake May. That order, it will come down to whoever the team owner and the GM are in determining that. But then afterwards, I have no idea what's going to happen. And the problem is J.J. McCarthy, who I think you would, if you were to poll all 32 teams, he'd have the most votes for being quarterback three. But he's not helping himself the last two weeks. He did nothing against Penn State, in which was one of the two big games of the year. And then he followed it up with another difficult performance against Maryland. But now he has Ohio State in the biggest game of the year, in which now Ohio State has a good defense, which wasn't the case the past two years. This is an incredible test that we're going to be able to see. And if he fails again, (laughs) where are we at there, right? There's all the turmoil with Harbaugh. And I thought of this the other day if he plays poorly and they lose their season's just over and then what happens because we had nine great games from jj mccarthy and then we had three rough games from him so i don't know where we're at with jj mccarthy yeah he did not play well at all the other day uh so i think with him and like you mentioned it's kind of crazy that for a couple of these guys it comes down to how they play at the very end of the season and potentially into the college football playoff Quinn Ewers being another guy who kind of falls into that bucket. Uh, but certainly McCarthy as well. If he plays well against Ohio State and they again goes and plays well in the college football playoff, no one's going to care about this game against Maryland. It won't, it won't come up again. But if he goes out and has another rough game where he just throws the ball 12 times or something like that against Ohio State, it's all people will be talking about for another month. So it's, it's very difficult to get a feel for where JJ is at this point. You kind of have to go off your previous evaluations prior to the Penn State game and this kind of offensive regression, I'll call it, for Michigan. Man, it does feel like the the bucket that he's in, quarterback-wise, is starting to fill up a little bit with a bunch of other names. Uh, maybe not just for me or you, but for other people as well, in terms of where does Carson Beck fall in all this he comes out. We expect Jader Sanders to go back to school, but if he came out, where does that end up? Uh, Cameron Ward is also very talented. We know his physical traits are arguably the best in the class. All of these guys kind of fall into that general bucket, and it really shakes things up. QB3 right now, 
I'm kind of just in a holding pattern. We know this will change for, for we'll change a couple times between now and draft day. Like you mentioned, we didn't know where Anthony Richardson and Will Loves were going to go in the draft, or even CJ Stroud for that matter. 24 hours before the draft actually happened, we had no idea what was going to happen. So I'm not going to sit here and pretend that I know what's going to happen in a couple months from now. Uh, Williams and Mary are the top two. And I'm just going to hold Pat and say McCarthy's number three for me right now because there's just nothing I can really do. I feel like I kind of have my hands tied a little bit. I just have to wait until we get that uh, Ohio State game and pray to God they throw the ball more than 15 to 16 times and then hope they get in the playoff and see for, more from there. Uh, but yeah, McCarthy's still my QB3. I think Shadur and Cameron Ward are still four and five for me. The upside with those two is just really good compared to some of the other guys. So I think those are my top five. And after that, you get a, a little bit of a dip, I would say. And that's when you're talking about Michael Pratt, Quinn Ewers, Carson Beck, and I think even Jaden Daniels, I would say like those four for me are the next four in. And the three guys who are kind of towards the back end or kind of in the middle of round three, I would say would be Phoenix, Michael Penix Jr., Spencer Rattler. With the quarterbacks, I think they're grouped well with the two at the top. McCarthy's in this, I think, position by himself and that we're pretty sure he's coming out with everything that's going on with Michigan and just he's played pretty well this year. Up until two weeks ago, he was thought of to be the quarterback three in the class. So we don't know where he's going to be, but I like the grouping of Ward and Shador together. That They're two guys who could go back to school and then be at the top of next year's class to be QB1 and QB2, and that could be a, a race there. And then afterwards, you get this group of... I really liked Ewers coming into the air and thought he was going to be the quarterback three, and he played well enough against Alabama. And if you look at his physical tools and traits... They are of you know a, a very high draft pick, and with juniors being able to play in the senior bowl, does he do that? And how does he finish down the stretch? He could move up into that McCarthy tier, but he's not there right now. And then I like you know Pratt, Jaden Daniels, Knicks, Penix, Rattler, the senior bowl quarterbacks. I, I guess how you would put them together. And then after Ward and, and Sanders, you get to that third bucket that I think excluding yours because he could jump into that McCarthy tier with how he plays down the stretch. I guess you could group the two of them almost together and that how they finish down the stretch is going to determine their stock and they can also play in the senior bowl. Who knows? And then you have those actual senior bowl quarterbacks and Pratt, Jaden Daniels, and then Knicks, Penix, Rattler. The one I want to get your thoughts on because he seemed Knicks and Penix, I think their upside could be the second round, but I think they're more third-ish round prospects. But Jaden Daniels seems to start be starting. And and then, well, I forgot Carson Beck. We'd throw Carson Beck into that tier as well. But we talked about him. Uh, we talked about him at length. And we've talked about Jaden Daniels at well at length. But he seems to continue to rise. He just had, what, eight touchdowns against Georgia State. They compared it to Burrow's eight-touchdown game against Oklahoma in the first half uh, of the college football playoffs. So not the same. But do you see where people are having that argument that not only could he be QB4, but that he could be QB3? So actually, I just looked this up earlier uh, from PFF. I don't have the exact number off the top of my head, but there's five quarterbacks in college football who have thrown for more than 1,200 yards on passes at 
only travel 20 or more yards downfield. Jane Daniels is one of those quarterbacks. Two of the five are completing over 50% of those throws. Caleb Williams is one. He's completing right around 51%. Jane Daniels is over 60%. <laughs> no one's even close to him in terms of downfield accuracy on like that level of volume he has. I think it will take only, it only takes one team to fall in love with the kind of player. And Jane Daniels has the skill set where I, I could see two or three teams being much higher on him than the rest. And that's really what it's going to come down to is that one of those teams being willing to take him. I don't think he's going to be a first-round quarterback. I think he could be a top 50 quarterback potentially because he does have some of those unteachables in terms of the speed, the mobility. I mean, Justin Fields was a middle-of-the-first-round pick. And I think there were more concerns about the scheme at Ohio State than there are at LSU. Uh, so I think that Jane, and there was there were any concern, as many concerns about Fields' build as there are for Jane Daniels. I think Fields was a better player based on when I saw him in college. But looking at that, I think there's a good chance Jane Daniels could be a top 50 pick when all is said and done uh, because he has those unteachable traits in terms of the acceleration, the mobility. He's got good enough arm, good enough touch uh, and velocity. So I do think he could be a top 50 player. Maybe jumps in these guys who you and I both use being better long-term fits in the NFL. It's interesting with him because I think whoever drafts him or is thinking of drafting him is going to have to do a lot of digging into Arizona State. I, I don't know if you remember his locker room being raided there. It just it was an ugly marriage that you know ended poorly. Granted, everything there seemed to end in a disaster under Herm Edwards. So that would be interesting. And then also, you know, this is, uh, everyone develops at a different point, but he's been in college football now for a very long time. I saw a video the other day or the other week of him throwing touchdown passes to Brandon Ayuk against Justin Herbert. Like That's how far back we're going <laughs> to that 2019 season. So you have that. And then he also gets to throw to Brian Thomas and Malik Neighbors, who we view as easy top 50 prospects. And there's a shot. Both of them are first-round picks, and Malik Neighbors could even be as high as wide receiver, too. So you have that. His left and right tackle are going to be very high draft picks. Next year, you have Mason Taylor at tight end, who's very slow. Like They have the weapons that are going to make you look really good. And... You think about it, and I'd put Penix more in, in line with Hendon Hooker last year. I think Daniels is a superior prospect, in my opinion, to the two of them, right? And with some concerns with, with, with Justin Fields, can he be better? And I think the answer is yes. He could be better than Justin Fields because I think he's a better passer. And I know hindsight 2020 and you know everything, Fields was viewed and thought of as a much better prospect. But I think seeing what Fields is now with the way that Daniels runs the ball and then Daniels more accurate, I think a good team, he could be a really uh, solid player and you know, get the most out of his ability. I just, I'm, I'm also not there that he's a first round pick. Yeah, I, I can't get there right now. I'm The only two that I really feel very confident in being first round picks are Drake May and Caleb Williams. And after that, it's kind of a toss up for me. I would like to point out that a lot of quarterbacks this year, the point of the supporting cast, a lot of quarterbacks this year have that level of supporting cast. Carson Beck and uh, Georgia can always just run the ball if they want to. They don't have a generational or a really good running back this year per se, but they've got some quality running backs and a tough offensive line like they always do. Plus, Slad McConkey when he's healthy and Brock Bowers when he's healthy. Uh, Quinn Ewers has two receivers that 
might have first round talent, even if they come with some boards that you have to work out. They've got two really good tackles there as well. And of course, Jonathan Brooks, before he went down, was looking like a, one of maybe the three best running backs this entire draft class. Uh, Bo Nix at Oregon, Bucky Irving, Troy Franklin. His stepbrother is wide receiver on the two on the team. Mm-hmm. He's got two good, uh, well, he's got multiple good offensive linemen. The center's really good. We know we like a Johnny Cornelius, Michael Panks Jr. Two really good tackles, uh, three really good receivers, some nice tight ends. A lot of these quarterbacks have good supporting casts. The, one that are te- the ones that are tending to do more with less right now are Drake May, to some extent, in North Carolina. J.J. Mc- no, not J.J. McCarthy, Michigan. I would say more Cameron Ward in Washington State, obviously. Shadir Sanders in Colorado, obviously. Uh, mm-hmm. And to some extent, even someone like uh, Spencer Rattler in South Carolina a little bit because of how bad that offensive line has been this year. So there, there are a lot of guys in this class who have benefited from really good supporting cast and a handful that you know have <laughs> really suffered from the groups of guys around them. Yeah, because when you looked at Richardson and Levis, and I throw Bryce Young in there as well. I know he had Jameer Gibbs, but he really didn't have much else. Like Their supporting casts were not very good. And then you have CJ Stroud, who had an unbelievable supporting cast that you know, I think if you had that in the NFL this year, they would be a pretty solid team. Uh, so it hasn't really seemed to affect him. But you know, the other three had horrible supporting cast this year. Like you look at all these quarterbacks in either the conference they play in, their schedule, their supporting cast, their jobs are very easy. Like that, I, Jaden Daniels and Michael Penix and Carson Beck. And, and all of these players have such easy times. They got five seconds to throw the ball. Everyone's always open. The team you're playing isn't very good. So I think the college football playoff and conference championships will hopefully help sort things out when Carson Beck has to play Alabama's defense. When J.J. McCarthy this upcoming week has to play Ohio State. like That's going to help sort things out because right now, it's it's a lot of them. It's, there, there isn't a ton of tape that you can see them face adversity. So that's that. But yeah, I don't think much has changed with the quarterback class. I think next week, there's going to be a lot of McCarthy talk over anyone else. You know, Ewers is playing Texas Tech and, and Penix is facing off against Cameron Ward and Washington State's defense. So like there, there's going to be a lot of points. But like I think the real one is where is McCarthy after next week? Because... He had the best shot to be QB3, but he really hasn't done anything uh, the last couple of weeks. So kind of standing pat with the quarterback class. Nothing too impactful from this past week. Moving on, prospects to highlight. I'm going to stick with that McCarthy game and, and talk about two defensive backs. I'm cheating a little here, and I'm grouping the Maryland-Michigan secondaries here, and two in particular. Mike Sandra still your guy, Sam, and then Bo Braid, who... I think I'll start with Bo. He looked explosive. Now, I wasn't able to watch the game live, so I, I went back and rewatched it. I thought he struggled against Penn State, especially uh, their tight end, Tyler Warren. I thought he did a really good job, Warren, of creating separation against him and man coverage. But I thought Braid really rebounded. I loved his tape against Ohio State as well. He looks a lot more fluid this year. You see the, the burst more and, and, and that pure speed. Still has some tackling issues, but I think that that's improved drastically because watching the Michigan and Ohio State tape last year, that was a big-time struggle for him. That made me very concerned about his transition and being a starting safety. 
But I'm looking at the third, fourth round uh, and the safety group as a whole. And it really just depends who goes back to school and who doesn't. But going into the year, I thought this was going to be an amazing safety class where we could see all these guys go really high. And it feels like it's Cam Kitchens and Tyler Newbin and then uh, uh, everyone else kind of with the way uh, it, it has looked. And then that causes you to all be grouped in the third round bucket. So I don't know where Braid falls into it. But Michigan and Ohio State tape was really good. I thought his film from early on in the year was pretty solid. But to uh, make the plays that he does and get your hands on the ball, albeit pass breakups, see better instincts. I just think he's improved more than uh, most safeties this year. So I've been impressed with him. And Sandra still, he was your guy over the summer, your guy during the season. You get to claim him because you had him as a top 50 prospect incredibly early on. And so just watching his film every week, watching Michigan State's film, I was watching it the other day. It was unreal. And he's just such a good player. So sticky and covered, really fluid athlete. You see the ball skills from being a receiver. I think he's going to run like the wind too. I, I don't know if he breaks a 4-4, but he's going to be in the low 4-4s at the worst. You know, the only issue you have with him is he's not 5'9 and a half even. So, you know, you're looking at 509 one. Uh, cornerback you know he's going to have to play slot um i wonder if he could play a little safety it depends on what team has wants to do there but i like him as primarily a nickel and he looks like he's going to project as a long-term starter there and i wonder if we're looking back on this class in two three years and he's a top 10 nickel in the nfl he's got that kind of ability and he's really shown it this year this is when the real test comes though ohio state I thought this was the one game he struggled in last year. You saw those size concerns more than any other game. And it's Ohio State. Those are NFL wide receivers you're going up against. So it's a big test for him. I think he's trending towards being a day two pick. I don't know if a slot cornerback could ever go in the second round, especially with kind of the depth we see, I think, in that second round of this year's cornerback class. But I think third-round pick that you're very happy about and you insert him into your starting lineup from day one. So depending on where I think he goes in the third round, we'll have to do with how he plays in this game because the rest of his tape has been pretty phenomenal this year. Yeah, his anticipation, awareness, processing speed, how quickly he triggers, they're all phenomenal. He's a very high IQ football player. And you mentioned he's a former wide receiver. wide receiver and corner in high school. Primarily paid wide receiver for the first three years, three or four years of his college career. Transitions last year, first year playing defensive back uh, from Michigan. Was already pretty good. And now this year, he's been phenomenal. Uh, I think it's the intelligence. I think it's the ball skills are really good for a player his size. It kind of makes up for him being so small. The vertical leap is very nice. He had that second interception against Michigan where He's going, uh, sorry, against uh, Maryland, where he's going up and he's high pointing the ball with a receiver on his back. And he's able to make that interception boxing out the receiver, which is something you don't really associate with a player who's got, who's got that size. But I think he plays much bigger than he is, really. Uh, in terms of the run game, too, and the screen game, he's very physical and he tacks downhill. He kind of just does all the things you want a nickel player to do, being physical, being a little twitchy, uh, being super high, high IQ and aggressive. He does all that well. So I think that, you know, he's going to be still going to be a top 50 player for me. He's probably not going to go that high. I recognize that because of the size concerns, but I'm really glad how he's, how he's played this year. And I think that he's very deserving of all the 
attention he's getting now because this was similar to what he did last year. Uh, he's just getting more of a national spotlight this time around. All right. With first a comp that I've recently heard, I want your thoughts. And going back to last year with the with a slot corner kind of transition to safety, Quan Martin, who was a top 50 pick. How would you compare the two of those guys? So I think that Walmart was an outside corner who transitioned inside to the slot. I think that Mike Sanderson is a bit looser, I would say, a bit better in man coverage if I had to put my finger on it. I think that Martin was... Uh, I wonder... I got to look up the 40-time ranks. I thought he was a little bit faster if I had to four, remember correctly. Four, four, I'm pretty sure is what Juan uh, okay. Martin ran. Yeah, I think they might be a little bit faster. Uh, I thought he did really well against tight ends. That was kind of his sticking point for me. He's just really good against tight ends, really good when he's able to read the eyes of the quarterback. Sam Russell can do the same thing where he's really good in zone coverage, but I think he's a bit better of a matchup against wide receivers. Uh, so I just think he's a little bit more fluid of an athlete. They're both high IQ players, but I think my guy's got a bit of a nod there. Uh, <laughs> I like both of them, so I can't, I can't really say negatives. I don't know it's a perfect comp, uh, I think Sanders still is a, a little bit more physical and aggressive coming downhill based on some of the things I've seen a little bit more aggressive against screens. But and you look at where Martin went, and I think you can feel pretty good that uh, Sanders still will have a, a pretty decent selection here in the draft. No, I agree. I don't necessarily think right the type of player they are, but you know the kind of overarching, high IQ, really athletic player who played predominantly in the slot. And I, I think you're looking at, depending on how you viewed Martin, you know, he's playing more safety now, but just these uh, high-end slot cornerback prospects and where they end up going. So, yeah, Sanders still uh, looked great. Two interceptions against Maryland. And then Bo Braid, I think he had 11 tackles. He had, you know, PFF recorded with five defensive stops. He's all over the field. Really good pass breakup. Uh, on JJ McCarthy that uh, thought was an incredibly impressive play. Showed off the instincts there that have improved. So those are my two from that game. Another defensive back, you went with Nate Wiggins from Clemson. Tell me why. Yeah, it's me. I think I said Nate Wiggins locked up the cornerback one spot after Florida State. But then he got hurt. He kind of missed a couple of games. He allowed, he allowed a touchdown against Miami. And he had to come back, and he had a really good game against Devontae Walker specifically. Uh, so Walker got him early. There was a 43 yard completion down the right sideline. And then the rest of the game was all Nate Wiggins and it wasn't even close. So of course he has the, the play where he runs down the running back, punches the ball at the goal line. It's a touchback and the turnover. It would have had Omari and Hampton, the running back from North Carolina scored the touchdown there. North Carolina would have gone up 14 to nothing in the first quarter. Instead, it's Clemson's football because Nate Wiggins sprints 45 yards or so to punch the ball out the goal line and get the ball back to Clemson. If you watch the replay, he's about five yards behind Amari and Hampton, about 40 yards left to go before the goal line. And he just accelerates so quickly. You watch him. Andrew Makuba is not a slow guy. He runs down Andrew Makuba and goes right past him uh, to get to Amari and Hampton on that play. So I think that showed off the acceleration, the speed. I wasn't really sure what his speed was going to be like watching his film last year. Uh, I think it's proven. he's proven this season that he's got Plenty of speed to win downhill, uh, downfield, and be able to catch guys and be able to stick with guys like Devontae Walker, who did get him for a 43 yard completion early in the first quarter. 
but he only finished the game with four receptions for 70 yards on 10 targets when going up against Wiggins. And like he had the better plays throughout the course of this game. He had an interception late. He broke a pass. There was potentially a uh, defensive pass interference call that didn't get called, which as a Clemson fan, I can't say I'm too upset about. Uh, so maybe maybe he got one there. But overall, I think the recognition, the closing speed, the natural athleticism and fluidity that Wiggins has, he is going to be cornerback one. I don't really know how he can contest it at this point, unless he just goes out and has a god-awful game against Xavier Leggett, which I don't think he will. But if he did, that'd be the only thing that I think could really change it up. And throw the stat here for you. So against the combination of Devontae Walker, Keon Coleman, and Johnny Wilson this year, Wiggins has allowed four receptions on, on 14 targets for 70 yards and two first downs. And that's against two potential top 50 receivers and the guy in Johnny Wilson will probably be a third round pick. So I, I think he's been phenomenal this year. And I really think this performance against North Carolina has locked up his first round spot. He, and I remember going back because we talked about it after the FSU game because Keon Coleman had that awesome touchdown grab to win the game. It was like, He's been pretty, he was pretty non-existent outside of that, but all of us like, wow, what a catch by Keon Coleman. And then you forget that Nate Wiggins had gotten hurt before that. That's the only reason why that happened. I think Wiggins is corner one. It's a, I think you put the gene, we'll call him a safety because I really think that's where he plays at the next level. That's how you get the most out of him. And I think Wiggins is corner one. I think AJ Terrell's success will help him. I really do. I think teams will value that. And seeing what he's done in the NFL and how he's translated overall will help. And then it's also a product of who's after him, too. Yeah. And one more point on that. Wiggins last year was playing so much zone coverage. This year, he's gotten a lot more reps in man coverage. Still not a lot in press man. You know, still not a lot of uh, press coverage. But a ton of man coverage reps, which you really didn't see last year. And he's proved that he can do that this year. So you're looking at potentially getting a more scheme transcendent corner. He's not going to go to very many press heavy teams, but in terms of guys who want to run a healthy mix of both zone and man coverage, he's not proven he can do both those at an elite level. And that was a concern I had for him this summer is that he primarily played a lot of zone. And I wasn't sure he would have the, the speed to stick with man coverage, but he seems to have proven me wrong. And he's even better than I, I thought he could be. Yeah, I, I, I think he's, he may end up being far and away corner one. I, I don't know if it's going to be close. I, I just don't see Kool-Aid on the same level as him. I don't think he's got the size, length. Or that's not true. He has the size and length. I don't think he's got the speed, the hip fluidity, and just I don't think his tape's as good. Uh, Wiggins' tape was definitely inconsistent last year, but that is not the case this year when he's been healthy. So I think the real question is who's after him? Who, who's that second one off the board? I think that's kind of where I'm at because he's going to run like the win. He's 6-2. If you're in 6-2, and I think he could break a 4-4. I really do. If not, you're looking at a low 4-4 guy at the, at the worst. So he he's a great player, and he's definitely shown up on tape, and he's someone you know, we were high on over the summer, and he's really proved us right, and it's glad to see that. I'm um, glad to see that he's played well. With talking about Nate Wiggins and him locking up Devontae Walker for the majority uh, of the game, we saw that big play early on 
Walker has been one of the more unique players in college football this season and everything surrounding him being a transfer for the third time to the NCAA forcing him to sit out and then caving eventually and letting him play. And he's gone off pretty much every week since they've allowed him to play. And I wonder if he'd be leading the the country and receiving yards and touchdowns if they let him play for week one because people forget. You know, it takes a little bit to get acclimated, especially when you're going to a new team, new quarterback. I know having Drake May makes that transition a little bit easier. But since he's uh, been eligible to play, he's really hit the ground running. So, Walker's been everything I think he be coming to North Carolina. I know there was a scare there for a moment that he might never get to play with Drake May. Thankfully, that's over because he and Drake May have been phenomenal together. When you look at Walker this year, we got everything we were hoping for from Kansas State, and I think a little bit more in terms of the speed, the acceleration, the dynamic athleticism, but also I think we're starting to see a little bit more high football IQ from him on plays downfield where he's able to play the leverage well. He's able to push the corner outside before cutting back inside. He's splitting safeties and corners. He's playing with leverage a lot more than I think he did last year, and he's creating a ton of separation, a ton of space because teams have to respect his speed and acceleration. Defense backs are worried that he's going to stack them. And he does that pretty easily against man coverage. Uh, One thing I want to point out this year, he has been so much better at making catches through contact at the catch point. That was an issue for him last year. He's got good size, got a nice catch radius. He was just a little bit soft at the catch point. This year, not as much of a problem at all. He's making catches through contact. He's coming back to the football. I see Drake Mays underthrown him a couple of times, actually. Uh, But he's worked back to the ball and made some catches through contact. And that's huge for him. I think that's going to be a huge part of the evaluation because you can't always hit a wide receiver in stride downfield, especially when they're as fast as Devontae Walker. Uh, so I think that's been big for him. I don't think that the short, really complex routes will ever be his, is where he gets a lot of production, frankly. I don't think they're ever going to be a huge part of his game. Uh, but that being said, if you're, if his A dot for a game is under 15 yards, you're probably using him incorrectly. Uh, so I do think there's a little bit of a limitation there in terms of his role in the offense, his route running style. But I think that the upside is just so high for what he can do for you vertically that you have to take a shot there. And even on like some intermediate in-breaking stuff, they ran one of these against Clemson that they completed. They also ran one against Miami where he actually turned into a touchdown after the catch. But he can do that intermediate in-breaking stuff too and also be very successful and get open. No, he's not going to run the full route tree. But you're not taking a 6'3", 200-pound receiver who's going to run like the wind because they're able to run the, the short and eat intermediate routes at a high level. He doesn't separate at a high level either one. Uh, yeah, the, the hands are never going to be perfect. They just he's He's got as good of a size-speed profile as you could possibly have. And, and at times, going through his film more in-depth because you'd watch an individual game... Drake May hasn't been perfect when targeting him. I think that's what surprised me the most is Drake May, who could be the first pick in the draft and has as good of a deep ball and physical tools as you could possibly have, just hasn't always connected with it. So to me, like that, like there are plays that have been missing because of it, which is funny to think about with a quarterback like that. But I've been incredibly impressed with Walker this year and just fast and how easy it is to get him the football. I mean, he is always open down the field. Comparing him to Jalen Hyatt, who was that type of receiver last year, how did they uh, compare for you? 
Well, I think Walker's a little more dynamic. I think Hyatt was the pure straight speed kind of guy. I think Walker is a little bit better at the catch point. He's a little bit more dynamic with the ball in his hands. I wouldn't want to scheme for a ton of touches for Hyatt on screen plays just because I don't think he can really survive contact. I don't think he can really make guys miss in space. Walker can do more of that for you. Uh, so I do feel a little bit better about Walker. I do think Walker's route tree will be a bit more expansive than Hyatt's was, uh, especially in college. So I think that Walker is a better player overall and a player who I would consider taking in the second round. Potentially top 50. Are we ta- yeah, I was going to ask. Is it top 50? Do you see a pathway for him being a first-round prospect or no? So that's a little bit tough because there are a bunch of guys like him in this draft class who you want running downfield and maybe don't trust so much with the underneath and short stuff. Think about a Brian Thomas Jr. or even a Xavier Leggett, those kind of players. Maybe you don't want them running the short, uh, detailed routes. I, I think there's a way he can get in the first round. I mean, teams teams love to fill out their wide receiver cores and have a little bit of everything. And Walker certainly could be that for you. Uh, I think there's some concern that he might just be an 800 yard per year kind of player. We've seen some teams go after speedsters in the past. and They've never really developed into these extremely complimentary number two options. Uh, even someone like a, what you don't want is to get like a Gabe Davis in Buffalo, a guy who kind of gets stagnates after a couple of years and you get stuck around that 800 yard mark. You don't want that player in the first round. I don't think Walker is going to be that player. I think as long as he can run, he can be really useful. And for teams like the Chiefs or like the Bills at the back end of that first round, that's a really good player to pair with the arm talent those quarterbacks have. And with the way the Bills have played, there's a shot. You know, they're taking them at 14. I'm just I was about to say that, that too. <laughs> might, I said back <laughs> in the first round. You never know. but <laughs> So, because we're going to talk about McConkie in a second, the overall wide receiver group. With Leggett and Ryan Thomas, are you hot? Because we watched Leggett this season. We watched Ryan Thomas recently and now redoing or just reevaluating Walker. How does he, how would you view him in comparison to those two? And who are you hot? This, this is such a hard question. I could write a thousand words on this pretty easily. Uh, <laughs> so, Right now, he's a better player than Brian Thomas is. That being said, I think Brian Thomas has the higher ceiling in terms of what he can develop into. You also see him at the catch point. I, I've mentioned that Walker's gotten better at the catch point, but Brian Thomas is pretty dominant there. You look at the red zone, you look at what he does in that area of the field. I think he just has a little bit more scoring potential. I don't think he's as fast as Walker, but I think he certainly has the potential to be more physical at the catch point. So I would, I would probably take Brian Thomas Jr. over Devontae Walker. I feel like Walker is more of a finished product. I feel like Thomas has more meat in the bone and you feel a bit better about him in situations where he doesn't separate, still being able to win downfield. Again, it's very difficult for me because obviously the height, weight, speed combination is just absolutely insane for him. And he is good at the catch point. I, I just don't know that I've seen as much from him this year as I have from Walker and Thomas specifically. Uh, and again, Leggett's been awesome this year, but I, I still feel like I'm leaning more towards the other two than I would him at this point. I don't know. I don't. I can't really put my finger on why. Uh, 
but I think I would lean towards Walker. I think, I think he's been more consistent. I think Brian Thomas has been more consistent over the course of this year than like it has. I'd want all three wide receivers. There's a lot of teams out there that need that third guy who does exactly what they do and has the size and the speed. If you just every team I think of, oh, they could use a wide receiver in the draft. Like, Devontae Walker would fit, fit perfectly in the second round. And all of a sudden, if every team he'd fit perfectly in the second round, that guy usually goes in the first round. So that's what I was wondering. I was like, man, every team needs a I, everyone. That's why you know with Hyatt, he was mocked in the first a lot. And I know they're they're not the same prospect and and size wise and what they do, but just you get someone who plays like that and. Most teams need that. You know, they need someone who can be a downfield th- threat, take the top off their defense. So I'm glad Walker got to play this year because he was probably a day three pick if he didn't. And now we're looking at, as we said, someone who you, I think a team can pull the trigger between, you know, 28 and 32 or worst case, he's a, a second round pick and probably top 50. So, uh, yeah, De- Devon says Walker. So we're now we're going from a 6'3", 200 pound wide receiver to Ladd McConkey, who's 185 pounds soaking wet. Uh, two receivers have been incredibly productive, but now with McConkey, who, you know, I think with Walker as well, you'll be both more as day three prospects going into the year. But uh, with McConkey, I think both have improved a lot. But uh, where are you at now with him? He's, he's still tough to evaluate. If you didn't see, he got an ankle injury uh, this past mm-hmm. week, which, I mean, hopefully he's okay because he came into the year having dealt with the back injury. He had some knee issues last year. The injuries will be interesting to see how, if if he comes out to the draft, how medically he performs. Uh, <laughs> it'd be interesting theory theory to see him and Beck both go back together potentially and see if they can win another championship if he has medicals that don't allow him to play a ton down the stretch here. Uh, but McConkie has been phenomenal this year. He's been far better than I projected he would be. So props to you because I know you were much higher on him than I was. Uh, but no, he his route running is something else man he's much twitchier and sharper after catching the ball than I think I remember him being last year you just look at some of the guys he's able to like miss one-on-one space some of the moves the quick controlled footwork I think that's going to be the key to his profile is going to be that controlled ability as a route runner both of his footwork his body control his ability to sell route fakes and he's got good speed as well you know he's not a slow player I don't think the acceleration is is as instantaneous as some players we're talking about here, but I think he's got good overall speed to be able to threaten uh, some players vertically to be able to create after the catch. And what I've really seen from him this year is the route salesmanship, the ability to sell that double move, which he put on Ole Miss. You go back to last, I think it was last year against Tennessee, he had a similar move where that stutter go, it's just, (laughs) it's phenomenal. He does such a good job of being able to sink his hips, be able to uh, contort and torque his body in a way that can sell you on what he's going to run. I think McConkey, I mean, I had him as a day three player for a while here. And I, I admittedly earlier today, this is the guy I reviewed today uh, for the show. And now I'm kind of looking at it like, can I really not put this guy in the second round? I think I have to give him a second round grade just because it's been so good. Uh, I made the mistake of right before this show watching his film and like, oh, I have to rewrite everything I thought about Lad McConkey now. But no, I think I think he's another player who will end up in that second round bucket, and we could be looking at legitimately. I could might have ten receivers in the second round grades this year, man. It, it's it's going to be crazy. Yeah, no, he was a guy I was very high on over the summer, and I I have been, and yeah, that that stutter go move against Ole Miss that was on Trey Prince too, who's a legitimate 
you know, potentially draftable cornerback. He's been great when healthy. I think that's uh, the only concern I'd have for him not being a, a great wide receiver. And you talk about just he could be a high volume player, but I think he is going. I, I, I keep feel like every single player we talk about, I'm like, man, he's going to run like the wind. I think I've probably said that six times at this point with Wiggins, Devontae, and McConkey's in that same boat of he's going to run really well. And I think he and Walker are going to be near the top of the receiver group. In terms of speed, and yes, you know, I don't think McConkey is going to run a four-three-three, but I think there's a shot he breaks a four-four with what he does as a route runner. He's awesome. Uh, he'd be the one I'd want to draft. And again, another prospect. He'd be perfect for a lot of teams in the second round. Granted, though, I think with all the first-round guys, I don't know if this pushes them all down. If they just go like they have in the past, where we've seen the trend the last few years of teams just valuing wide receiver more than they ever have, because wide receivers win you games. They're as valuable as it gets. So they make a quarterback a lot better. Because I think at one point in time, with what Belichick was doing with Julian Edelman and Danny Yamandola, people thought, you know, he's putting Brandon LaFell out there and they're winning Super Bowls. But we've seen as of late, you know, what you can do for Josh Allen's development when you get Stephon Diggs, what you can do for a player like Joe Burrow when you get him Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd. Same with uh, Jalen Hurts with uh, A.J. Brown and Devonta Smith. Like, you get your quarterback good wide receivers, and he's going to be that much better. So with all these teams that need their second or third receiver, you know, if Jahan Dotson is going 16 and Traylon Burks is going 18, these guys are going to go high. And then I wonder if it's similar to the 22 class where we see, but I don't think there's a drop off at all. I think that's the difference is no one went after Burks at 18 because there was no one who should have gone after him. But then there was that run in the second round. I think it's just going to keep like there'll be six who go by 18 and there'll be seven and eight in the first round still. And then it's just going to start right up again with the first pick in the second round. And whoever takes Caleb or Drake is just going to take a, a wide receiver uh, to get them. But now that we talked about McConkey, and if you have some more thoughts on him, share. And then you, you got to go through the updated receiver rankings afterwards. Yeah, I know. We have to do this again. Uh, I was going to say, <laughs> at my most generous, there are 13 first-round caliber players in this draft class. At my most generous. Mm-hmm. So I think wide receivers can go early and often. We might generally see three taken in the top twelve picks. I think there's a really there's a real pathway for that to happen. Uh, if you bump McConkey into the second round bucket, which I'm going to have to consider later tonight, that would give me ten second round receivers after Keon Coleman, Malik Neighbors, and Marvin Harrison Jr. in the first round. I would have ten second round receivers, and you could get into the third round, and that would be. Malachi Corley, Torrey Horton. And I love Malachi Corley, by the way, but I just think that some scheming, some competition level stuff, it, it's hard to tell with him. I want to see the testing. I want to see him uh, potentially at an all-star game. But Malachi Corley in the third round, Torrey Horton, Johnny Wilson, Roman Wilson, who we'll talk about a little bit later. Uh, I still like Elijah Badger because <laughs> I think he still can create a lot for the catch. But like that, that grouping in the third round, you're going to have a ton of receivers who are good late into this draft. And then even going later than that, like guys like who's a little bit more skill specific, but guys like Bob Means, Jalen McMillan. It's a shame we haven't seen Antoine Wells at all this year. Uh, I don't know what he'll do with his future. Jamari Thrash at Louisville has been very good, even through a hand injury he's been dealing with. Jacob Cowing's a really solid slot receiver. Uh, Jay Michael Sturdivant hasn't had a really good year, but he's got a lot of physical tools. It's a loaded wide receiver class. And you want to mention my wide receiver rankings. Uh, one is Marvin Harrison Jr., shocker. 
Two is still Malik Neighbors. He's been that way throughout the entire process. Three is Keon Coleman. And then it really opens up. Uh, I would say right now, the, the four I had for last month was Adonai Mitchell. And if you watch the route he ran, on what I think what should have been a touchdown against TCU on the right sideline in the red zone, you watch that route, you will know why he was my wide receiver four. He can do some really incredible things when he's dialed in. But for the sake of consistency, I think that uh, Troy Franklin might be my new wide receiver four. A.D. Mitchell will still be my wide receiver five. I'm not going to like bump him down significantly. Six, I would say Romo Dunze. Oh, Dunze is just so good at the catch point. He maybe he's not as much of a natural separator as some of the other guys, but I think he still has to be up there. Seven would be Egbuka. I'm not going to lie. I've been disappointed by him this year and by his lack of really being involved in the offense. That being said, he does separate at a very high level. He does have some athletic traits that I believe in. Uh, he just might not have the ceiling as some of these other guys. So he's my wide receiver seven right now. Eight is where we really start getting into a bit more difficult situation. <laughs> I'm starting to sweat a little bit here. Eight would be uh, probably Jalen Polk. I love Jalen Polk a lot, maybe a little bit too much, but I think he's got, I don't think he has reached his full potential. I mean, maybe in Washington right now, the catch radius, the speed, I think there's so much untapped potential there. I would love to see him in the NFL. Nine would probably be where we hit Xavier Worthy, which I know will probably be a little bit of a question mark because he doesn't have the size of someone like Devontae Walker, but I think he's got twitch. And that the NFL is with the sex of Tank Dell and those kind of players this year, the least going to be more willing to take some smaller receivers. So I think Xavier Worthy would be nine. And then you would get to the guys we talked about. Walker, Leggett, Brian Thomas, and uh, Lad McConkey, And right now, shake him, put him in a barrel, shake him up, and draw lots. I don't really care who goes where, uh, but I think those four guys who are all competing around like that fringe 10 spot, and they do have room to move upwards. Like I'm not, I'm not blocking out of the top 10. They all have upper mobility. Just more, what's the difference between A.D. Mitchell and Brian Thomas? Like, no, obviously... Not, not big. Like, no, it's not, it's not big right. at all. Yeah. Like, you know, why would I rather take Brian Thomas in the first round? Or not about A.D. Mitchell in the first round when I can get Brian Thomas in the second. I'd rather take... There's only like, you know, there's seven or eight tackles. But there's only seven or eight tackles. It's a great tackle class, but there are really only seven or eight starters where I'm going to get Ladd McConkey. And I love Vlad McConkey. If I can get him in the second round and to take one of these seven tackles in the first round, that's a home run for me, right? If I need speed, give me Devontae Walker, Xavier Leggett, or Brian Thomas in that role. You know, well, I'd take, you know, Malik Neighbors at 10 and pass up on one of these tackles like Amarius Mims and then go with a lesser tackle in the, in, in the second round. It just doesn't make sense. So I don't know if we're going to see a run on tackles first or the run on receivers, just, you know, not every team values tackles as much as they should. <laughs> so, you know, I, I don't know what happens, but I think there's going to be a lot of graphics similar to the one. I don't know if you remember the Joe Burrow throwing the ball with Suell protecting oh, yeah. him or throwing <laughs> it with the, the chase. Yes. It's a graphic that's become famous. I think there's going to be a lot of those situations because it's a similar group, right? Slater, Darisaw, and Suell. And then you have Waddle, Devonta Smith, and Jamar Chase. And I think teams are valuing wide receivers more than tackles. I just hope they don't this year because I just think the the wide receivers are so much better in the second round than I think they've ever been. I don't know if there's like 
it's necessarily as elite in the first round, maybe as so. But when you really look at all the wide receiver years, like they go higher than they should. So it makes it seem like I don't know, you know, when you look at like Chris Olave and Jamison Williams, like, you know, neighbors and Keon Coleman are on that, you know, or close to that level. So, you know, I just think they're, they're probably like 15 guys I'd want as my wide receiver two or three, which is hard. Hard to find. Yeah, and you can conceivably find a a day one starting receiver even in the third round this year. You're not going to find a day one starting tackle there, or you would be hard pressed to. It would take, I I don't know, take uh, Johnny Cornelius playing extremely well in camp, or Karan Amagaji getting back really quickly and doing well. It would take something like that, something improbable to happen in the third round for one of these guys tackles to really come out and start at that point. But wide receiver wise, I mean, you got a couple of third round options who could be. Pretty significant contributors right away. No, it, exactly. And so with the tackle class that we only probably have seven starters because of injury, Matt Gincalvis, tackle from Pitt, someone who we both viewed as a potential late day two pick over the summer, only was able to play in three games this year against Wofford, against Cincinnati, and then most of the West Virginia game. So, first final eval, theoretically, of the year. Granted, the more we do initial evaluation, those are final evals because there's only so many games left that you can evaluate <laughs> afterwards. But with Gun Calvis, it's only a short amount of time. But your final thoughts on Gun Calvis and how he stacks up in this tackle class? So, I had him as the late third to early fourth round guy over the summer. And Playing three games really hasn't changed my mind that much. I'll say with the injury and everything, he probably drops into the fourth round, and we can kind of lock him in there. Uh, mixed bag with him. I think we discussed him being more of a swing tackle or a long-term like OT3 in the NFL over the summer, which at this point, with all the injuries, is worth a fourth-round pick. It might be worth a third-round pick at this point, considering how bad offensive line plays in the NFL. Uh, but See, then Calvis to me is not a year one starter, but he is a guy who can get you out of a pinch potentially year one. Uh, good upper body size and strength. You like his foot speed and movement skills overall to be able to carry guys up the arc. That being said, he can be a little bit late to redirect inside for inside rushes. Uh, the pad level, I liked it last year. I thought it was a little bit higher this year. So I think the pad level will be a bit of a question mark there. He's not much of a mauler in the run game, but he is not weak by any means. He's strong. He's got Good for body strength. Nice power on down blocks. You can see he steals defenders pretty easily in the run game. Uh, his balance is a little bit off, though, when working downhill. You can see he sometimes slips or falls off blocks a bit. He's very patient with his hands and pass protection. But I do wish he was a bit more physical with his punches. I feel like his punches slip off guys too often. Uh, he does have good placement to really frame blocks well. But I just think that maybe getting more stiff, firm punches in would be huge for him in pass protection. Uh, so my main concerns with him right now, balance in the run game and redirecting uh, inside for inside rush moves to counter those things. Those are my two base concerns for him. Upsides there, like I said, the movement skills, the general foot speed, and I think the framing of blocks are all really good. And the character supposedly is pretty good as well. This guy's a team captain this year. Uh, he's played multiple positions on the offensive line, both tackle spots. So you're getting some versatility there, which is why I think he could be a long-term OT3 or maybe a low-end starting tackle if you need him to be. Yeah, and 
we talk about offensive linemen. I think a lot of times you forget how often they're injured and how bad offensive line play is. Because when you look at wide receivers, if a wide receiver is out, you go to your wide receiver four and he starts. And they're usually, it's just a position that's a lot easier. So you're better at it. So it, it's, it's going to be a drop off. But a backup left tackle, if you've got a good starter, and it, it usually ends up being a loss. When people are surprised, oh, how this team lose to this other team, it's usually they were missing one or two offensive linemen who are key cog. That's just the difference. So to get a player like Goncalves, yeah, I thought like a little bit of a waist bender. Uh, I, I thought noticeable strain against some of the better athletes. Uh, yeah, I don't think you're drafting a guy you project to be a, a long-term starting tackle, but... I know T3 could be really valuable uh, in the third round. I, I don't think there's a ton of upside there either. Uh, but I think he's a smart enough player. Um, thoughts on him as a guard, which would give him four position versatility. So, correct me if I'm wrong, I think he's played a little bit guard in, of guard in his career. A tiny bit. Uh, yeah, his arm length be a little bit better at guard. I think he doesn't have tremendous arm length, so he might be better fit at guard in that role. Like you say, he's got the upper body for it too, the way he's built. I would just be concerned about the pad level at that at that spot. Uh he does have pad level as good occasionally, but the arm reps for the pad level is a little bit too high up for my for my liking. So I think that would be the main concern about him playing guard. But I wouldn't be against trying it out. Yeah, I think he can get you out of a pinch in that, like, you know, there may be like against a good player. He may struggle a little bit, but you know, you're playing the Chicago Bears defense and defensive line, and your often your right guard get, gets hurt. I think he can do it. Your right tackle gets hurt. I think he can do it. And yeah, I, I there's there's nothing that really stands out about him, but there's a lot to like. In comparison to Carter Warren, I think he's a, a, a much better prospect. Than a Warren, million so. times better. And Carter Warren was a fourth round pick for the Jets, right? A fourth rounder. I might have given him a UDFA grade. I'm not entirely sure. I I was not very high on him last year. So I think that uh, when you look at that, yeah, I, I don't see how this player gets past the fourth round, honestly. If he interviews well, has good good uh, good resume builders from his coaches, like gets good support from them, I don't see how he gets out of the fourth round. No. It, it, Warren was helped out by being a bad tackle class, but he was also hurt. He missed uh, a large portion of the scene and wasn't able to participate in a senior bowl or east-west. So, you know, Calvis, I don't know how long the injury is, but if he doesn't, that still shouldn't prevent him. And, you know, I think teams liked him. Yeah, I, I wonder, yeah, is he is he just... If I can get Ladd McConkie in the second and Goncalves in the fourth, uh, those would be two great picks or one of these wide receivers. But I think... I wonder if it pushes up Goncalves to the late third still just because, hey, there, are, there aren't a ton of tackles this year. There's a lot at the top, but people who, or teams who want these types of players, you know, it's, it, there's, there's very few, right? Like when you look at Karan Amagaji, who's probably, you know, in that injury bucket as well, like he should still be a third round pick. I don't know if Goncalves should, but you go from 90 to 105 with those comp picks. And there's a lot of guys who go there who probably are day three picks, but you know we want to make sure that they don't get there. So I think like he, I take him over Blake Freeland. I'm higher on him than Freeland. Wanye Morris as well. 
you know, guys who went in, in, in the same ring. So Carter Warren, Sal Saldaveri too. I think he's yeah. this year's Sal Deveri, he's this year's Nick Saldaveri, but I, I actually like him. I did not like Saldaveri at all. No, I wasn't um, a big fan of Saldaveri either. Uh, but yeah, looking at it, looking at the tackle class, you project for some guys going back to school, some guys converting to guard. There's probably 12 or so guys, I would say, who would legit legitimately make sense in the top 105 or so. Uh, and tw- 12 might sound like a lot because it is compared to a lot of other draft classes, but 12 overall compared to the state of the NFL currently in the state of offensive line played league, 12 is the very slim amount and teams are going to be really clamoring for these guys. So I think that that's yeah. probably where we're at with offensive line, especially tackles. No, it really depends, right? Because if we see, I think six or seven go in the first round, those next two are going early in the second, probably. So it's not like after the 50 picks, you're there's, you know, as you said, if there's 12 who should be picked in the top 105, there's three or four left after pick 45, you know, for every team. So that's going to help him. But yeah, I don't think much has changed. But with him being injured and out for the season, it, it was good to give our final thoughts. I don't think he showed anything that would change him from a late third round grade who then goes in the fourth because of injury. But you never know because of the position. So final eval on Goncalves. Now prospects we've watched recently. Roman Wilson, wide receiver, Michigan. Ethan Downs, defensive end, o- Oklahoma. And bear with me here. Princely Uma Nielian, defensive end, Florida. It was good enough. I-, I pronounced it better, I will say, before the show. But the pressure was on this time, and it wasn't as good. But, yeah. It is what no, it is. I'm, I'm glad you did that because now it's, that's the last time we have to say the name on the show because I'm not going to say it the rest of the way. So uh, I appreciate you taking the bullet for me on this one. But no, no, I got you. So uh, good prospect. But we'll start with Wilson, the wide receiver from Michigan, who has recorded 120 touchdowns this year. No, but it feels like every single week up until the Penn State game, all Michigan was doing was throwing touchdowns to Roman Wilson. So what was your what were your overall thoughts on the Michigan wideout? Yeah, they, they might want to get back to that game plan. Just throw the ball to Roman Wilson and let him <laughs> score. But uh, I remember the first time I, I knew who Roman Wilson was. He caught a pass against Darion Kendrick. Uh, when Darion Kendrick was at Georgia, down the right sideline, he just beat him deep. That was the first time I realized who Roman Wilson was. I was like, why don't they throw this guy more often? Why don't they throw the ball more often? That was two or three years ago. Uh, and now he's, for me, a player who I give a mid-third to early fourth-round grade on. Uh, I think he'll be great as a slot receiver at the next level in an offense that runs a lot of pre-snap motion. Because he does get a lot of pre-snap motion right now at Michigan. And I, uh, my one-liner for him is Wilson creates separation with his agility, footwork, and speed. And has the athletic profile to win at all three levels of the field. I do think that his frame and lack of play strength will confine him to the slot uh, and limit his upside after the catch as well. The reason I have him as a mid-third to early fourth and not more of this surefire third-round pick or maybe even late second-round picks, I just don't know that he has the upside to be anything more than a mid-level wide receiver three early in his career, uh, which is why, and again, it has to be a slot receiver at that. So I think that there's a little bit more of a scheme-specific role for him. If you have a fit for him, sure, it can be an early third-round player, but I just don't know that I would view him that way, especially in this wide receiver class. Uh, so he does have special teams experience in the kick return, punt return units. He's played outside and inside. 
uh, from Michigan. He's going to test fast. Back in high school, he ran a 4.37. So he's going to test fast, uh, presumably. Impressive acceleration to really dust flat foot defensive backs. Teams have to respect his speed. But I think where he really wins right now is his well-defined routes and the sharp cuts thanks to his agility. He's excellent at timing route, uh, timing open windows so that he can give his quarterback as long as possible to complete a pass. Uh, really good mid-route cuts. He's able to separate on crossers. He doesn't fear working over the middle despite his size. Now, he got punished for that against Maryland, which is why he got knocked out early in the game. Uh, had to sit in the sideline the rest of the way, but he does not have any fear working over the middle of the field. Creates good separation at the top of the stem. He decelerates quickly. You watch him work on whip routes, and you see that real ability to shift and work quickly. Nice third go as well, and good footwork uh, overall. And a natural hands catcher, too. Some of the negatives, uh, lean frame really cannot play through press coverage. Gets derailed quite early in the route by contact. Uh, so I think that's going to be a constant concern for him is that play strength. He's going to have to work on his release package a lot to be able to avoid that next level. I think his hips sink a little bit inconsistently at the stem's peak. Uh, and his route fakes, at time, route fakes at times are not sold as well as they should be. They're a little bit too easy to decipher. And his, his speed did not pop as much this year as, as, as I was expecting. I thought he'd run faster based on how I viewed him a couple years ago based on how he ran last year. I didn't see that as much or as often this year as I was hoping for. And after the catch, just does not have the speed, uh, the size to break many tackles. And he has not created a ton of yak uh, over the course of his career. Because again, he with the ball in his hands, he didn't look like he had a ton of speed this year. And he's not really a twitchy or sudden receiver with the ball in his hands. I wonder if he can go higher than the third. I view him... Similarly, third round prospect. Um, but that again, that speed teams fall in love with it. And I, I just don't know if there's a spot for him necessarily in the second round. But we've seen how receiver, receivers have gone off the board. It's pick your poison. Like Jaden Reed and Rashi Rice going ahead of Jalen Hyatt and Cedric Tillman was not on my bingo card. Like that was like where the team's just, we want this player. So we're gonna take them, right? You have more the you know, offensive tackles. It's just you're next, you're the next best one up, and we need a left tackle. So that's who we're gonna take. Like there, you know, there's less more of like, I want this guy for my offense. So, you know, there's a lot of different archetypes, and he's going to be someone that with, with what he brings, uh, a certain team could value him in the second. But I, I really think he should just be a third round pick, right? You talk about that upside, especially early on in his career, just isn't the same as the ride receivers that we've talked about, you know, t- today. So uh, I just think that's where he's. Yeah. At. There's a, there's a gulf between him and Lad McConkey in terms of what they would offer immediately in the NFL. So I, I don't think that he should be in the second round. No, I, I agree. So, but a really good player who's uh, improved his stock. I think a lot this year, and those teams that value production are going to, are going to love those touchdown numbers. So uh, next prospect, Ethan Downs, defensive and at Oklahoma. Take me through your report on him. Yeah, I think he's going to go back to school. Uh, I gave him a fifth-round grade right now, which I know fifth round sometimes is a bit of a cop-out. But I do think that there's enough to project with there that you might feel good about taking him in the middle of day three. Uh, for now, he's a really hard-working defender who already has developed a solid foundation of pass-rushing moves and ability to shed blocks in the run game. I still think he needs to work on his play strength and should really work on expanding his pass rush plan next year to include more counters and advanced moves going forward. 
I just don't think he has the technical development right now to be a day two guy or even a really early day three player. And it's not a strong edge class, but I don't see the production right now. I don't see the polish for him to really be in that grouping. Uh, I watched, we watched Deshaun Davis recently. And I think I gave him a fourth round grade. Deshaun Davis has a solid set of pass rush moves. You know what this guy is as a player. And I don't think you really know that with Downs yet. And that's both good and bad. It's good because there's potential for untapped upside there. It's bad because you don't know what the floor is. And that could be really, could be really risking a lot here if you take a guy like this in the top 100. Uh, so I think right now the positives for Downs, he loves to trash talk. He loves getting up in guys' faces. He was the one, I believe, standing over Quinn Ewers and somehow did not get flagged for taunting against Texas. I, I don't know how he got away with that, but uh, there's room to add mass to his frame so he can get stronger. He appears to have good arm length and explosive first step. Uh, he's capable of sudden explosive movements mid-play. Really good at fitting his hands into the offensive line. His chest and he has a violent and physical upper body to really pop and bounce off a lineman at contact. Good power in his hands, too, especially you saw against Texas. Uh, and he's able to punish tackles to overset by getting to the B gap. He's got long lateral s- steps to help him exchange gaps. And he's got a spin move, a double hand swipe, powerful club, a rip move, a long arm move, a snatch rip. And he's good at beating tight ends because they just don't have the power to hold up against him. Uh, Downs a good closing speed as well. And he has a relentless motor, especially when pursuing the quarterback. What I liked about him, I didn't expect this, was that he's better at separating and redirecting from blocks than I expected. He's got a good foundation of block shedding right now, and I think that's going to get even better going forward. Uh, Usually for a guy with his build and with his development, they're really not great at shedding blocks yet in the run game. I think Downs is well ahead of the curve in that area, Uh, so I can appreciate that. On the negative side of things, he really does not chain together any kind of moves right now. His pastor's plan is really underdeveloped and doesn't have a diverse set of hand counters. Uh, doesn't really win quickly either. His spin move is pretty slow and mechanical and doesn't have the power to consistently play through the frame of offensive linemen, which means things like his bull rush, his longer move die out uh, pretty quickly. And he does not revive his rush right now after it gets stopped. Uh, I don't think Downs is elite bend either, which could really hurt him. Uh, and a lot of his production this year is actually coming against tight ends instead of tackles, which is something you really don't know unless you watch the tape. Uh, so I think that a lot of his numbers right now are a bit misleading. I thought, yeah, the Texas game in particular, he crushed those tight ends. Um, but yeah, I think right when you watch him, you're like, that was a great play. But, you know, tight ends are that they're not very good blockers. And I feel like most of his best reps come against the tight end. You know, if one-on-one ref with a tight end, you should beat them. And that's what he does. Uh, he does play with his hair on fire. Uh, I like that. He's a much better run defender than I thought he was going to be, right? I think he's a candidate to go back to school. Do you see top 100 upside? You know, proves, you know, because guys don't improve drastically, but improves a little bit next year with with the pass rush plan. Do you see a pathway to him being a top 100 pick or more just clear day three? No, I think he's clear day three. I don't see, unless the pass rush plan is completely reworked, I don't think he has the reps right now against tackles. I don't think he has the move set to really be a top 100 player for me. So you'd put Ja Joyner, who we talked about last week, as a 2025 guy ahead of him? Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. I think Joyner has much more upside. He's got more natural fluidity bend and... Maybe not as polished of a move set so far, but I think in terms of pure pass rush upside, Joyner's got that. 
Yeah, no, I agree. So uh, it was Ethan down at Oklahoma. Now, Princely at Florida. Uh, one of these senior guys, so I think, floating under the radar a little bit. Take me through your report on him. Yeah, I gave him a mid-second to early third-round grade, and that could be a straight-up second-round grade. I kind of went back and forth on it a little bit last minute after watching his tape. Uh, he's a developing explosive pass rusher with long arms and a great spin move. Uh, arguably the best spin move in this class, although Jonah Ellis might have something to say about that. Uh, he's really improved in run defense this year, but it's still limited against offensive line moving downhill. I don't think he's come close to his potential yet, but a team drafting him is really going to have to buy into that like, two to three year plan or so. I don't think he's going to be a player who's going to come out year one and be a ready-made starter, which is why I'm more mid-second, early third round. I think you're looking at a little bit of projection here, despite him still uh, being a fourth-year player in college. So some of the positives, I mentioned the long arms, uh, explosive off the snap. He fits his hands into the tackle's chest, but good placement. He's able to work across tackle space because he is so explosive and tack inside rush lanes. Uh, you cannot overset against him. And even if you don't, he's able to pry you open and get into the B-gap with his long strides. Uh, he's good at pushing vertically and then countering back inside with the spin move. And he's good at pulling himself through after that spin move as well with his uh, arms. Uh, also uses a long arm move. And he's learning to convert speed and power. He's not there yet, but he's learning about it. Got a good chop, good chop move and a good snatch pull through as well. And there are flashes of impressive bend. I don't know that's consistent rep to rep, but he does have the flashes of, imp- of impressive bend. So he's like get low too. So you got a combination of bending at the knee and then kind of twisting yourself at both the ankles and the hips to try to get as low as possible and cornering uh, to shorten that rush angle to the quarterback. And he's much better at redirecting to the ball after bouncing up blocks in the run game this year than he was last year. Last year, I thought he was a liability in run defense. This year, much better at it. And he's got really good pursuit speed and a large tackle radius. I think that his nose for the football is really improving in run defense this year. Uh, You go and watch the Georgia game. and, And to be fair, they didn't, Put a blocker on him a ton against Georgia. They left him unblocked, which ended up being a huge mistake over the course of the game. They left so many rush yards on the table there because he was making plays left and right in the run game against Georgia because he's got the closing speed, he's got the tackle radius, and he was very active in the run game against Georgia, uh, even shedding some blocks head up on tackles to be able to make plays. So I think that's an area of the game he really grew in. I will say that that Georgia game, the run defense is showed in that matchup has not transitioned to every other game. It could just be that it's the momentum of playing Georgia and you're kind of psyched up and you're playing 100%. Uh, so I, I do wonder why he hasn't hit that level of run defense in other performances this year. But that being said, doing against Georgia is a pretty good indicator that he has that in him. Uh, some of the negatives, lean frame, he's a little bit high-hipped. Uh, that first step can be inconsistent. I think he has, to, he has to play with a lower pad level when he's not trying to win around the outside. Uh, does not revive his rush plan once it dies off. His power rush is still a little bit weaker than it needs to be. He needs to kind of fill out his frame a bit. Uh, and he can be overpowered and can't and pancaked by Lyman working downhill. He has not totally corrected that yet. Uh, and he does get washed away by down blocks and sealed in the run game. Like stacking and shedding is still something he needs to work on right now. He does have moments where he's able to do that, but it's not something he does consistently when working head up over a tackle. Uh, and he does leave his gap at times. Gap integrity is something he kind of needs to be more disciplined with. Uh, he does leave his gap in pursuit of the quarterback, and that opens up rushing lanes. 
I think he's improved a lot this year, but I did like the tape last year. I think he solidified himself as a day two prospect. I, I think he does have a really good shot. I don't know if I'd say top 50 lock, but just the how weak the DN class is, I think he's a top two round prospect um, for me. So brings up the question, where does he fit for you in this DN class that is kind of weak? And we talked about last week, Brugler had a lot of them in his top 50, but just give me your top 10 and where Princely falls into it. All right, so my top three, and you can set the quarter fee streaks. I think there are, they're getting more interchangeable by the week. It's Jared versus Chop Robinson and, La- and Leatu Latu. You know, Latu has the most polished pass rush arsenal of anyone out there versus the guy who was really good last year and has kind of been a little bit of the same player this year. Chop has been, Chop, I mean, Chop's been on fire since like week three. Chop is winning over 20% of his pass rush reps since week three. So he's been killing everyone down the stretch here. So I think he solidified himself as a first-round player. Then it's after those three, there's really a group of four-ish players. And it's Princely, the two Alabama guys, and Braylon Trice. And I think it depends on what you want from these players. I think of those three, Princely has the best bend of any of them. So you're looking for someone who can win outside. I think he's got the best of that. Trice probably has the best power of the, of those four. And then the, I don't know what you want to do with the Alabama guys. I think they're, they're kind of hit or miss for me a little bit. Uh, I would say Princely's probably closer to being edge seven than he is edge four. So I think he's more towards like the second round is where I would see him. Uh, probably peak for him is middle of the second round, I would say, is, is where I think he will top out, depending on how quickly these edge rushers go. If something crazy happens and two of them go in the top 15 or three of, them, three of them go in the top 20, then it's probably going to be higher than that. But if we end up seeing them all drop and the first edge doesn't come off the board until pick 20, he's probably looking at more being in that 50 to 65-ish range. It would it go between JTT, Adisa, Isaac? Those would be, those would be yeah. 9 and 10. Yeah, those would be the next two in. It's a rough edge group, right? When you think about, you know, because you have lots who's got the injury history, and I like the tape a lot. I mean, like you watch him against Jordan Morgan and Fuaga, and I felt like he didn't really win any rep against either one of them. It, granted, he was playing predominantly on the other side. Like he crushed Jonah, uh, Josh Gray, and uh, Jonah I can't pronounce the last name. The right tackle for Arizona. Like he was killing those guys when he gets put inside. It's over. But, you know, against those two tackles watching their film, I didn't think I thought Trice had more success against both of them. But, you know, and you also take into account the medicals. But uh, he's been great and very productive this year. I think Jared Verse gets a bad rap. I was watching the Duke film the other day and people thought Graham Barton shut him down. He did not. Uh, he just had that one play uh, that the, 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 the run bl- blocking play where he almost like grabbed him by the knees. Like that was, you know, that was a good rep. It was a little odd. But like Barton was on the ground a lot. He was throwing him around. I still would take verse, but like I wouldn't want to invest the seventh pick in him necessarily. Right? Yeah, I just I would want to see more finishes because at the end of the day, I know sack numbers, everyone talks about pressures and all these other things, but like, man, if you can get a sack and you have that extra acceleration explosion, which I feel like he has, I just don't know if he's got the bend to corner or like unreal power. I think he's good good enough at both to just get there but not finish. 
And I still think teams will be impacted by that. Yeah, Chop's been... I would have loved to have seen him be able to play the whole game against Ohio State. I think he just won't be for everyone. You know, he. But I think he's a first-round pick. And then at the Dallas Turner and JTT, like I was watching Jack Nelson the other day, and I messaged you that yeah, Jack Nelson looks like a first-round pick when he's going up against JTT. Yeah, like, I know he has the Fashanu few plays, but man, does he not look like a first-round pick on most of his tape. Then you throw in like Landon Jackson's getting some buzz. The Bama tape was really good, but I think going up against a freshman tackle and Jalen Milrow's pocket presence helps a lot. So, you know, yeah, it's just a weak group. I'd want verse, but I'd want them at the right price. And then afterwards, I think Princely may be like the good second round value pick. Like he would have been very low. Like he would not have necessarily been a second round pick. I don't know last year. Yeah, you know, just there was so many more names. Like, you know, you throw DJ Ojolari into the mix last year and you know how high does he go in the first round? I think yeah. is more what you're looking at with some of these players. When you're starting to see a lot of those guys who were drafted last year are starting to see more playing time down the stretch now, and they're getting sacks in the league, and they're proving their value. Yeah, I don't know the Princely would be a, or certainly wouldn't be a top fifty player last year with all those edge rushers the way they were set up. Uh, it'll be interesting because again, it's, it's kind of pick what you want because Princely has the bend. Raylan Trice, who might end up being, even after all the up and down, still be the fourth edge off the board. It's just much more powerful than most of these guys. Uh, that's why he, I mean, that's why he had more success against Jordan Morgan than Latu did, is Trice has the power. And Latu, and Morgan's weakness at times is against power. That's why Trice had more reps there. He was able to be successful. Uh, so I think it is kind of pick your kind of edge rusher for this group. Uh, but those are those are the guys that sees the top 10. You mentioned Land Jackson's a guy who could be out there, certainly. I have to bring this up because you mentioned Jack Nelson. I was watching Brent Jackson today for Washington State. And I watched the Wisconsin game. And, oh, man, did did Ron Stone Jr. absolutely eat Jack Nelson's lunch like every single rep? Not even just this year. Last year, Wisconsin's game. He was beating him too. I, like, Jack Nelson's worst team to face is Washington State, I guess. Now, nah, there's some others, um, but yes, I, I think oh, yeah. definitely Washington. <laughs> Illinois. <laughs> but I think, with, with, yeah, uh, it, it's interesting. I, I don't know. Maybe Jack, Jack Shore, we still have to take a look at. Your Brugler's high on him. Um, and, and, and there's some other guys, Jonah Ellis, who you mentioned. But yeah, it's a really weak group. You know, and I, I don't know. I just wouldn't want to have to draft one of them this year because you're just not going to get the same value. So, yeah, I wonder, but I, I think my top three would be set in stone with Verse, Cha, and like Latu just depends on the medicals. It really does. Because if he's fine, then, you know, he'd be right up there. And I think a top 15 pick, but it's serious. And, you know, Jalen Phillips, it's interesting. Phillips wasn't medically cleared at UCLA, so he transferred to Miami. Latu wasn't medically cleared at Washington, so he transferred to UCLA. So UCLA didn't clear Jalen Phillips, who went 18th, but they cleared Latu. Uh, and we'll see where he goes. And, you know, with the different, like, Phillips, the concussions, like, you get one bad concussion, your career could be over. Like, I don't know if the how the neck... We don't know. Like, we're not doctors. Is the neck effect long-term? You know, will you have durability concerns? Or, you know, how, how does it impact things? But um, we'll see. 
Yeah, it's just hard not to love Latu, just watching him play. I went back and I I charted all of his pressures against USC uh, yesterday afternoon just because I wanted to. And it's just such a phenomenal player to watch. Man, I, I hope the medicals turn out good for him because he's so, so technically refined compared to everyone else in this class. Oh, yeah. You know, he, if he does well in the pre-draft process, I think he's the first one off the board and he may be... Like if if there was no injury, I wonder if he'd be like the sixth pick in the first one, and then we see him drop. You know, people like Dallas Turner as a first rounder. I still can't get that Texas tape out of my head. Of I'm still waiting for him to have a real pressure against Kelvin Banks and Christian Jones for him to be considered this top ten pick. But he's gonna go. So we'll see. It's a weak edge class. We're gonna have to dive deeper into this D tackle class and figure out what the heck is going on there. I don't even want to talk about linebackers because I, I the. Le- this year and last year, that's the position is just like just only undrafted guys who go to random schools. The only ones who are gonna be starting in five years. That's just very odd. Jeremiah Trotter Jr. than everyone else. <laughs> that's my well, agenda. We'll see. We'll we'll see. So uh, we'll dig in uh, more to those positions later. So thank you for listening to the draft report. Catch us every Wednesday talking all things NFL draft related.